Have you ever felt like giving up, quitting, throwing in the towel? Welcome to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. She's an author, health coach, and motivational speaker. Backed into a corner multiple times in her life, Carol shares with you stories on how she overcame some of the toughest obstacles a person can go through in life, but refused to give up hope. Rather than admit defeat, an opportunity was presented, and it involves each and every one of you. Carol will feature spectacular guests who will share their messages of hope, encouragement, and their inspiration to prove why life's adversities only make you stronger. And now, welcoming the host of the show, here's Carol Graham. JJ for that introduction and I also want to thank all my listeners from around the world we are now in over 60 different countries and that just is always a strong indication as a new country and new communities join our listening audience to show that there is a need for people to have hope in what often appears as a hopeless world Never Ever Give Up Hope is a program designed and devoted to sharing stories of people who did just that, who did not give up, who became successful as a result, and they share their stories. And this is what we are, of course, going to do today with my guest, who is Pamela Christian. But before I introduce her, there is something Uh, worldwide news that I want to address and I know that this ties in perfectly with what Pamela is going to share today. I don't know if any of you have heard at this point but something is happening in Fort McMurray, Canada that could easily affect the entire world and that is it is on fire. And this is very close to my heart because my daughter and her family have recently moved away from there. And we do know many people who still reside there. Now, wildfire broke out yesterday and the entire town and the surrounding communities of 80,000 people have been evacuated. Now, this happened so quickly that they were not even allowed to go back into their homes to get their their fur babies, their pets, let alone all the livestock and everything else that is in the wildlife that is being destroyed as we speak. The gas stations exploded and therefore many people were not and are still not able to get out of town because they do not literally have gas for their cars. It is devastating. And... (laughs) This is just one thing that is happening, but the world is full of these kind of circumstances. And the perfect person to discuss that and to discuss hope and faith is Pamela Christian. Pamela is an author who has written a series of books on faith to live by. We just don't know when our lives are going to be turned upside down. And we don't know if we're going to have the hope and the faith to sustain us or what we're going to have to hang on to. And so that's why I wanted to mention what is going on today in Fort McMurray, but also how it ties in with what Pamela is going to share. Welcome, Pamela. Thank you so much. I'm so appreciative to be here today. 
Well, Pamela, I believe in looking over your bio that you are a person who believes in absolutes. And I believe we we live in a world that doesn't have many. Now, what inspired you, or is this what inspired you to write your first book in this it, series? Yeah, it absolutely is, Carol. What happened is I read an article written by ABC News that had the headlines that Americans are tolerant of religious beliefs. And I fully expected that I would read an article stating that we are very accepting of people in our country that have different beliefs, you know, Muslim or Buddhist or Judaism or what have you. But instead, the article expressed very clearly that Americans are taking different tenets from different religious beliefs, mixing them and matching them and creating a religion of their own preference. And when I read that, I my heart sank because it just was so clear how deceived even highly educated leaders are in our country. Uh, they even have names for these uh, made-up beliefs. Uh, Buju would be somebody who believes in Buddhism, uh, Buddhism and Judaism. Uh, it's, it broke my heart, and I knew I had to address it. And I set out to what I write to write to write what I thought was a first book, an, a single book. But as I was writing it, I knew that clearly there would be at least two more books, and it became the series that you mentioned, Faith to Live By. And what do you deal with in your, in these books individually? Well, the first thing I wanted to get across is for people to understand that there is absolute truth. I know it's very popular for people to claim that truth is relative and that all religions lead to the same God and the same heaven. And just because something's popular doesn't mean that it's true. One of the things that I had to realize that I was an uphill battle for me is that people believe that they already have the truth. So they don't seek to discover or examine what they believe, and hence the title of the first book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies. Um, what I wanted people to understand is that just because people claim something doesn't make it so. We need to test it. We need to examine it. Because when I ask people, when I go speak, this one single question, when I ask who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie, no one ever raises their hand to that question. Really? And that's extremely revealing. Mm-hmm. What that means that is that, number one, universally, we all prefer truth over deception. Universally, we all believe that truth is better than deception, which means universally, we all have an innate moral compass. And how do you suggest that people do that to go to examine what they are believing? Well, First off, I want to say that I understand that it's very, very difficult to examine your faith or to examine your life beliefs, your core values, because for the most part, we've all ganged them from people who we respect. They might have been our parents. They might have been a teacher or a professor. Someone significant in our life, many of them actually, have contributed to our worldview or the belief system by which we live our life. And most people, even re- different religions other than Christianity, uh, because your Eastern religions believe in incarnation, most people believe that there's life after this life on earth as we know it. So if that is so, we want to make sure that what we believe in this realm is based on truth because it's going to impact our future life. And to answer the question how to go about it is to actually go back very fundamentally to the beginning and find out why you believe what you believe. You want to find out if there's any verifiable, objective evidence to support what you believe. You know, one of the things I did in writing the first book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in the World of Lies, was to go to the Internet and do a search to find out what the popular definitions were of the words faith 
and truth. And I was so disappointed, not surprised, but so disappointed. One of the things that were stated is that uh, faith does, is blind. And that was in two major online dictionaries. Mm. Faith is blind. And that is not true. Faith is not blind. Faith has an area of mysticism or myst- mystery, I should say, in it, an, uh, some element that we don't understand. But faith is what I say as this. Faith provides us enough objective, verifiable evidence to help us believe for what is yet to subsist. Say that again slowly. Faith is based on enough verifiable, objective evidence to allow us to believe for what is yet to subsist. Can you expound on that a little bit? Sure. In other words, it's like trust. Faith and trust are very similar. Once I know the character of an individual and I have deemed them trustworthy, then I can trust them with things I've never experienced with them before. It's that simple. Uh, we can, tr- Once we understand the character, the will, and the intent of God, for example, then we can trust him in things that we've never experienced with God. Faith and truth are both based on objective, verifiable evidence. Truth is absolute. And let me demonstrate how we can be so sure okay. of that. First off, people will say, uh, what I believe is my truth, what you believe is your truth, and we should all just get along. And that's what is considered truth is relative or truth is personal. Okay. But the same people who claim that truth is relative are those individuals who will say there is no such thing as absolute truth. Well, to make that statement is using the law of absolute. When you say there is no such thing as absolute truth, you're relying on the law of absolutes and you can't have it both ways. Another thing I want people to understand, and this is again in the first book, because I do take a great deal of time in the beginning to explore faith and to explore truth uh, so that we can be sure that what we believe is based on sound evidence and it's not just a willy-nilly preference like what I was explaining people are doing here in America. Um, What we want to understand is that truth is not only absolute, but we can verify truth with three tests. It's just real simple. There's three tests that will allow us to know if a matter is truth. First, truth is always based on reality. Second, only one thing can be true and all opposing matters are false. And the third thing, which is demonstrated with that question that I ask, who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie? The third thing is that the truth is universal. When, when all three of these proof tests are in place, we can be confident that a matter is true. Number one, truth is based on reality. Number two, only one thing can be true and all opposing matters are false. And number three, truth is universal. What kind of arguments have you had against that when you've talked to people about this subject? You know, that's a good question. When there are arguments that arise, uh, the the best tact to make is that the person who makes the claim needs to make the defense. Yes. If a a person claims that truth is relative, then they need to be able to make the defense. If a person claims that truth is absolute, they need to be able to make the defense. In fact, apologetics, which is a field of study I'm really Uh passionate about, is just that. It's making a defense for the Christian faith. And an example that I give in my book uh, using those three proof tests is um, for if, for example, my children were suddenly telling me that they want cookies and I'm thinking there should be plenty of cookies in the cookie jar, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, well, the process for discovering truth in this situation is, number one, all the cookies are gone. Now, that's truth. I look in the cookie jar and all the cookies are gone. Now, the cookies can't be both in the cookie jar and gone at the same time. So one matter is true and all opposing <laughs> matters are false. Right. 
And then based on the evidence of my precious child's face covered with cookie crumbs, any mother in the world would come to the same conclusion. Therefore, the truth is universal. <laughs> That's a wonderful analogy that we can all relate and understand. Absolutely. And again, truth is absolute. Absolute. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> what kind of feedback have you had regarding your books? You know, Carol, I have been so gratified and my heart has been so overwhelmed with the reviews on Amazon and other places, not to mention the endorsements I've received, but the reviews are from people who are saying exactly what I wanted to communicate, from people who had never stopped to really examine their faith of all religious beliefs. Mm -hmm. uh, they have said that, th that this really gave them a lot to consider, to reconsider, and that now that they understand that there is a way to determine if something is true or not, that they are eager to go about examining what they believe and why they believe it. Uh, others who have come to conclude, as I have, that the Christian faith is the one true faith and leading to the one true God, have said that they have learned a whole lot about their faith that they never even knew before, and they are much more confident about their faith being grounded in truth than they'd ever been before, and therefore more confident to share it. What I do is I, I go through, as I mentioned in the first part of the book, really trying to get to the foundation about truth and faith. And once I feel that that's satisfied, I go through and I dedicate a chapter to each of the five major world religions and also a chapter to New Age so that people can read as objectively as possible. And I've gotten kudos on that, too, that I've done a good job to be objective. But I want people to read and understand the origin of each of the five major world religions and the origin of new, the New Age belief. I want them to see where they started. I want them to see the different tenets of belief, the belief system, uh, what they believe about God, what they believe about the afterlife. And when you compare and contrast these different religious beliefs, it's evident that there is no way of making them pluralistic. There's no way of making them blended and, and to be able to claim that all roads lead to the same heaven and the same God, because there are just so many major differences between them that the only way they could be blended is with some serious compromise and who's going to step to the plate to compromise? That's a very legitimate point, because if you believe that your truth is absolute, why would you want to compromise? Exactly. Exactly. So that's a, another reason why I started with faith and truth, or truth and faith, actually, in that order. And then to look at the five major world religions and to look at New Age. And at that point, then a person needs to understand, needs to think, OK, well, well, then where is the truth? If, if all these major religions right. have so much conflict, which one makes the most sense to believe? So the next thing I do in the first book in the series is to take people through uh, extra biblical and historical evidence that provides proof that the Bible, in contrast to all other documents of religious authority, has more objective, verifiable evidence in support of it. This is from history, I'm not talking right. about using the Bible to substantiate the Bible. I'm talking extra biblical evidence, archaeology, the laws of statistics, all sorts of things. Um, there is more objective, verifiable evidence in support of the Bible than there is for any of the other documents of religious authority. That, to me, is reason enough to want to know more about the Bible and to know more about how the Bible was penned, how it came to exist. So I go into that with my book. And then believing that I provided enough evidence that a person would have to conclude, well, this Bible is something that I ought to seriously consider. Then I use the Bible itself to talk about the person of Jesus. And along with that, I use additional extra biblical evidence in support of the, not only the existence of Jesus, because most people are willing to say that a man named Jesus existed mm -hmm. and he was very influential, but not everybody is willing to say that he's the son of God. 
So I go through using extra biblical evidence of many of the great historians and try to lead the reader to a point of reconsideration. I'm not trying to tell my readers what to believe. Instead, I'm trying to get them to think and to use logic and reason, and I'm respecting their intelligence, and I'm wanting them to decide for themselves based on a, a genuine search what makes the most sense to believe. Very well done. I mean, anxious to read the first book. This is what you're dealing in the first book, correct? Exactly. Uh-huh. And so this would be a real tool that people could use not only for themselves, but to help someone else who may be struggling. Exactly. Like I said, a lot of people, even those who are uh, Christians, have discovered that by reading this book, they've gotten so much more confident in their Christian faith. And at a time in our culture where Christianity is under such attack, we need people to be confident about what they believe. How do you feel it's under attack? Oh, we see it through our our government systems where there's so much effort to remove the uh, representation of God Mm -hmm. or the symbols of Jesus or anything Christian in our Christmas. Exactly. It's it's all over. It's rampant. Um, Gratefully, however, uh, there's also um, evidence that people are so worn out. They have become, and I'm so grateful for your program because you do address hope, but people have become hopeless because they've placed their hope in things that are not trustworthy. Mm-hmm. They've, pl- they've placed their hope in things that have failed them. And so they are searching, many of them desperately searching for what can they put their hope in to have any purpose, any meaning in life. That goes right into my next question for you. You'd mentioned in um, your blurb that the world is broken and needs repair. This is a perfect, perfect, that's a bumper sticker. You know, mm-hmm. the world is broken and it needs repair. Who's going to repair it? Absolutely. Now, no one can argue that. We all, we all are aware of it. Doesn't matter where we live in the world. We are fully aware that we have, we have problems that need and we need help. Whether it's in government, whether it's in marriage and family breaking down, losing jobs, you know, the real estate market, mm-hmm. uh, finances, banking systems it's full of failure mm-hmm. and, and these, see it Sorry. these are system these, i was just going to say these are systems that, and institutions that people have placed their faith in yes exactly mm-hmm. and that leads me to my question how can real and certain hope exist in this kind of environment well number 1 we have to find truth we have to discover truth and let me add to that that truth is never something that we get all at once Truth is a process of discovery. And just like faith, once we have a sufficient amount of truth, then we're on a path where we can continue our discovery and add to what we've already learned. So we'll be growing in our truth. We'll be growing in our faith. And you're asking how can truth and what was your question? Um, How can hope even exist in this kind of environment? Like, let's just bring it down to, for example, what I shared today, Mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. people, what's happening in Fort McMurray, people who are right smack dab in the middle of a hopeless situation. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How can they see any hope or anything good coming out of that? And I'm sure you, you must address that in some of your um, articles and some of, or the books that you have written. Mm -hmm. First off, when you are in the midst of something so tragic, as these devastating fires that are so widespread, and as you even mentioned, have the potential of world impact, it is very difficult to find hope in the midst of it. I've always said that 
faith is like automobile insurance. It needs to be firmly in place before there's a crisis. Has to be firmly in place before there is a crisis. Right. And so the people who find themselves in such devastation, any, any type of crisis or loss, who haven't taken the time to make certain that their hope and their faith is based on truth, they're going to be the ones who will be suffering the most. They won't have any foundation. They won't have any moorings. And they will be looking for those people who can help them. All the more reason, those of us who are confident that we have found the truth and are able to share it with love, that we do so without hesitation. So let's talk about your second book then. This, the first one basically is an outline to, I'm assuming, what the next two are going to be about as well. Yeah, actually, I sum it up this way. The first book, Examine Your Faith, Finding Truth in a World of Lies, talks about essential faith, the faith that we must have in place before there's a crisis. The next book, Renew Your Hope, Remedy for Personal Breakthroughs, talks about effective faith. Now, that's the kind of faith that Jesus Christ in the Bible talks about moving mountains. Would this be like with people who are suffering from depression or suicide or chemical abuse? You know, the everyday struggles. That everyday, are- yes, everyday struggles, uh, unexpected struggles, such as this fire that's broken out in Fort McMurray. Uh, hope is hope. And, and any time we, we need hope, no matter what the circumstance, we can find hope if we have our life grounded and based on truth. And one thing I have said, um, and, and it's, it's, it bears repeating, the Bible says that with God, nothing is impossible. And having substantiated the Bible with my first book, then I go ahead and I use the premises and the claims and the promises from the Bible in my second book. And what I say is that any time we give up on anything, we're giving up on God, because with God, nothing is impossible. Now, do you personally believe that? I absolutely believe it. I've experienced many things in my life where I've come up against what would otherwise be hopeless, and I've refused to give up on the truth that I had acquired to that point. Uh, I resolutely determined that I would count on God to be who he claims to be. I would count on God for his character, his will, and his intent as expressed not only in the Bible, but through all creation and through the person of Jesus Christ. And he has seen me through miraculously more than once. And this is what you share in your second book? Yes, I have not only not only my own personal testimonies of some miraculous points of breakthrough, but also stories from other people that are just amazing uh, and how deep they needed to dig to hold on to their faith, but that the reward was tremendous because of it. In circumstances like this, what about putting your faith into other things? Have you have you experienced other people coming to you and saying, well, that's all fine and good for you, and I appreciate that, but I believe in, and this has sustained me. How do you address that, and have you had to address that? In a different way. I had I was standing with a group of women in a social setting before I was to speak for a weekend event, and it was just a nice little light time as people, as the women were coming to register, and um, I was just getting acquainted, and From behind me, a woman approached me who was clearly very tall and commanding, and her voice was very booming. And before she even had eye contact with me, she said, I just can't believe in God who will send people to hell just because they don't believe Jesus was anything other than a good teacher. Well, the entire room got quiet, as you can imagine. Uh (laughs) And everybody was looking at me, waiting to find out what my answer would be. And I quickly prayed, and my response to her was this. Well, do you think you've already found the truth? Or are you still seeking to find it? And that was enough 
to cause her to realize that she may not have all the answers she thinks she has. And I'm happy to say that by the end of the retreat, that woman came up to me and she thanked me for opening her eyes to be more open to exploring more about what is truth and what is not. Well, do you have others that you share in the book as well? or is this? I think that the testimonies in the book speak for themselves. Rather than providing a, a person, rather than writing this book to a person who is already of the Christian faith, giving them instructions as to how to help others come to the faith, this book, just like the first, attempts to be very inductive, just to pre- present facts, present information, and let the reader conclude for him or herself. And that's wise. That's extremely wise. And that that's what I know will encourage people to buy your books, because you're not forcing them to follow what you're trying to tell them. You're asking them to make their own decisions right. and make them based on being educated. Right. And this is the problem, Carol, and another thing that breaks my heart. We have people that are very highly educated who really do not know how to think because they've been told what to think. So when it comes to trying to examine something or weigh it and determine if it's worth their trust, they really don't have that ability. Interesting. What about book three? Well, book three has not been released yet. Um, I've been gathering the detail to write it. Um, It will be about excellent faith. And if you're paying really close attention, for those who do know scripture, I really have written three books which will talk about faith, hope, and love. So the third book in the series is Revive Your Life, Rest for Your Anxious Heart. And I hope to have it out later this year. So this would help people who are addressing the everyday struggles. Is that correct? Yes, even more so. And and in fact, what it will really focus in on is God's love. God is love, all about God and love. That is the connection. I've, I've learned that that is the link that's missing. If people really understood who God is, his character, his will, and his intent toward you individually, disregarding anybody else, but God's intent, love, and concern for you as an individual, if people can grasp that, why would they turn away from God? There's nothing else out there like that. There's nothing else out there like that. How do you address the question, which I'm sure has been posed to you many times, how can God allow things like the Fort McMurray fires or the killing of children or hostages or on and on? And that's a valid question, a very honest question. I, I respect that question. There's some things we need to understand going into this, though. And to start it off, let us let me say this. God is sovereign over all, but he's not responsible for all. That carries a lot of impact. When, when God created not only humanity, but when he created the spirit world, angels that exist, uh, he gave us all free will. And the reason he gave us free will is because he wanted us to want to worship him, to want to love him. He wanted it to be a choice. Had he pre-programmed us to love him and worship him, it would have been meaningless. So he knew when he created all that exists, all the the beings that exist, he knew that he had a risk factor, but he also knew, knew that he would provide a way to overcome any of the fall that would happen from people choosing not to live their life the best way they could, which would be according to their created purpose, according to their creator's preference, which is only in their best interest. So what is wrong with examining all these other faiths to find one in particular that would work for you? Do not certain faiths help 
one individual more than another. You are saying that basically Christianity has the answers and you are addressing that. But what about people who have found answers in other faiths? How do you address that? Of course, it would be addressed not generally but individually uh, with a relationship because I don't ever want to be somebody who's a Bible-thumping preacher. I want to show the love of Christ and I want to ask people to think and consider. I, I want to, them to make their own decisions. When they examine just the origins of the five major world religions and they examine New Age, uh, I would imagine there would be several questions, several new questions mm-hmm. that they would have that they never had before. Well, that's wonderful because that places them on a journey, on a path toward truth discovery. And again, when I ask people who in this room wants to live your life on the basis of a lie, no one ever raises their hand to that question. So if we're not intentional about what we believe, we could easily be deceived and not know it. Because that's the nature of deception. The victim's unaware. So unless we are intentional about finding truth and about reconsidering truth on a daily basis. It's no secret that good and evil coexist in this world. So we just by living in this world, we're subject to things that are deceptive and evil and wicked every single day. We need to have a habit of intentionally seeking truth and adding to the truth that we've already acquired, adding to the truth that we're already confident about and, and adding, uh, building our faith and building our truth and confidence. Just as faith can be shaken in any belief, it can be shaken in the Christian belief as well. Sure. And you mentioned that faith has to be firmly in place before a crisis. Are you saying that that does not matter what you believe in or does, or is it um, like a universal type of faith or what are you saying exactly? Well, you're kind of using the word faith a lot like the popular definitions, yes. where it's blind faith, yes. where it doesn't need any objective verifiable evidence. I use the word faith properly, and that is that there is enough objective verifiable evidence to allow us to believe for what we have not yet seen. And what about that statement, faith is blind? Well, let me put it this way. Who in their right mind would believe and trust in anything without having some measure of confidence in it? <laughs> I think a lot of people do. But that's because they haven't stopped to examine what they're doing. They haven't. St- if once you ask questions to get them to reconsider, then a person can realize, oh, my gosh. In fact, that's another part of, of my story. Uh, I lived my whole life with a belief system that I thought was commendable and accurate. Uh, I thought it was well considered. I could go on and on. And then I hit a life crisis that caused me to fall completely and question everything I had ever believed. And it was that journey, Carol, that really caused me to examine faith and to examine truth on a personal level long before I ever started writing these books. That journey is what has taken me through places in life, through crises in life like you wouldn't believe, and able to hold on to the truth and see God work in my life, even miraculously. What I am hearing you saying is that your books present a challenge. Mm -hmm. And all of us, no matter who we are or what we believe, need to be challenged in that belief, whether we are Christian, Buddhist, New Age, or whatever. Mm -hmm. And by being challenged and dissecting what we are believing this is what is going to eventually bring the absolute truth. Exactly. You know, even Jesus on earth and 
after he's had his resurrected life and is living and interceding in heaven, even Jesus does not get in our face and challenge us to believe what he says we should believe. He is loving and his arms are open and he invites us to discover truth. And doesn't that take an element of faith to believe that in itself? To believe that Jesus invites us to discover truth? Yes. It depends on how you're using faith again. If you're using faith based on evidence that Jesus has never, which we can we can demonstrate through uh, the historical accurate stories from the Bible and even extra biblical stories of people who had interactions with him. Um, and we can see that there is no demand of God for anyone to worship him. No demand. There's the invitation. Anything you want to say in conclusion? I think it would be to get back to what I was just saying with you, Carol. I so appreciate you letting me, because this is my heart's passion. You could probably hear it. (laughs) I don't want people to live in deception. People themselves don't want to live in deception. And unless we individually, intentionally examine what we believe and why we believe it, we could easily be deceived and not know it. There is real and certain confident hope that can get a person through any situation, but it has to be discovered before there's a crisis. It has to be discovered before there is a crisis. Don't a lot of people during a crisis look for that, though? Yes, and there are people who in, the, in a crisis are finally open enough for, for help that's beyond them. Like the old saying goes, there's no such thing as an atheist in a foxhole. We've all heard that. (laughs) Who's the first one they call on, right? (laughs) Right, right. Well, it certainly has been enlightening, Pamela. I really appreciate how you address this. I am challenged. I know my listeners are challenged to read your books, not only uh, to help ourselves, but but to gain an understanding of the different faiths that there are in this world and so that we can speak and address them as we are asked. I really appreciate the fact that you as a Christian are are confident enough and open enough to explain these other faiths and to help us gain an understanding and then draw our own conclusions. Yes, absolutely. And my desire again is to write as inductively as possible. And I'm, I'm grateful for the uh, compliments I've gotten on how I have done that with the other religions, I, because I myself have concluded on Christianity. So I tried to be very careful mm-hmm. that I didn't skew that. I truly want people to read as objective uh, as possible, have information presented to them as objectively as possible so they can make their own decision. I think that that will present a challenge, like I said, for anybody from any walk of life, from any uh, belief system to have a look to reevaluate their own faith, to reevaluate their own belief, make an educated decision. Mm-hmm. And for that, I thank you. I thank you for, for sharing today. And we look forward to the third book when it's going to come out. All that information, of course, will be in the show notes and people can contact you and you can answer any more questions that they might have about any of these uh, things that we discussed today. Thank, Thank you. you so much. Thank you. And if anybody would like, I have a blog where I address many of these topics similar to what we talked about today on my blog on my website. And that'll all be in the show notes so people Thank can you. definitely go there. Thank you so much. Thank you, Pamela. Thank you for listening to Never Ever Give Up Hope featuring Carol Graham. Did you know that most people succeed because they are determined to? Quitting was never an option. Carol loves your comments and will respond to each one. 
so please subscribe and review this podcast. A rating of five stars would be outstanding and appreciated. Remember, if you are still here, there is always hope.